My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Well, welcome to another day as we continue through the Word of God. I'm so glad that you are joining me. Uh, If you haven't had a chance to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards, my Facebook page, Anthony P. Richards, Instagram, AP Richards, um, please go ahead and do that. Also have all audio podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Links are always in the description below. And uh, let's get this out uh, to as many people as possible. And uh, let's, let's, let's do whatever we can. Uh, to help people understand the exciting truths of the Word of God. Today we're picking up uh, Matthew chapter 2, and we're looking at the second half. We're going to be starting at verse 13 today. And uh, this is the, the beginning of Jesus' uh, life where he leaves Bethlehem and uh, where he travels to Egypt. And uh, so let's pick up the story in verse 13. Now, when they had departed... Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream uh, and, and said, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. The command that came was an urgent command. Uh, and it came as, as soon as the wise men departed, which we think was when Jesus was maybe, you know, anywhere from six months to two years old. Uh, and as soon as they departed, Joseph gets the command, get out, go to Egypt. And, um, and now it wouldn't have been completely strange to Joseph that they should actually go to Egypt. Uh, there was a large Jewish community in Egypt. Uh, so it wasn't strange that the Holy Spirit would kind of guide him there. Um, uh, Carson says this, uh, Egypt was a natural place to which to flee. It was nearby, a well-ordered Roman province outside Herod's jurisdiction. And according to Philo, who wrote in AD 40, its population included about a million Jews. That's, that's, you know, so it was a, there was a large Jewish population there. Um, Herod is going to try to destroy Jesus. That's a response uh, that is consistent with who Herod was, uh, but also with humanity in general, that, 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 that jealous envy. Uh, and it doesn't speak very well of humanity to notice that when God added humanity to his deity and came to earth in the most non-threatening manner possible as a baby, the immediate reaction of one part of humanity was to try as hard as they could to murder him. It's amazing, the the sin nature. So when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night. So he leaves the very night of the dream. Uh, that's, That's complete obedience. This is the kind of obedience that is not common today. People hear you know, the, the word of God, the, the, the calling, the instruction, an angel. And they always pontificate. They, they, 
you know, do whatever they can to to put off doing something. Oh, I'm going to pray about it a little bit more. No, <laughs> Joseph knew <laughs> uh, that if if he if an angel came to him told him to do something, he's, he was going to do it. He was going to do it straight away. Uh, very impressive obedience Joseph had. Um, can't imagine that he ever really thought about any of these events happening as he grew up betrothed to Mary. Um, Poole said this, We are not told into what part of Egypt Joseph went, nor how long he stayed there. Some say six or seven years, others say three or four months, two to four years. Uh, interestingly enough, when you come to Cairo with me, another place that you're going to come with me one day, uh, we go to the Church of St. George in Cairo, uh, which is the, the, you know, the traditional place, uh, where they believe, uh, Jesus actually grew up while he was in Egypt. And, uh, it may or may not be, but it's incredibly interesting to go there. And, and if it's not, it is something that is from around about that time. Now, there's a reminder here, <coughs> pardon me, of the prophecy from the prophet Hosea in chapter 11, verse 1. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. Uh, this is the fulfillment of another prophecy. Um, Matthew makes it clear that even as Israel as a nation came out of Egypt, so would the son of God. Isn't that amazing? All those hundreds of years before prophesied, and this is, that's, that Jesus is the fulfillment uh, of over 300 prophecies. When people say, you know, like nobody's ever had a book written about them before they were born, and they've fulfilled it all. Nobody. And yet people still doubt the, the sovereignty of Jesus. I'm not into that whole Jesus thing. They just want to ignore the actual factual reality of what Jesus fulfilled. It's, it's, it's really amazing. Okay. Let's, let's get on to verse 16 here. Then Herod, this is when we get to see the, the, the horrific nature of Herod. Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then, was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Ah. Bruce said this, Incredible? Anything is credible of the man who murdered his own wife and sons. This deed shocks Christians, but it was a small affair in Herod's career and in contemporary history. David Guzik. Especially in his last years, Herod was cruel and suspicious. When he knew that his death was approaching, Herod had many Jewish leaders of Jerusalem arrested on false charges. He ordered that as soon as he died, they should all be killed because he knew well that no one would mourn his own death, so he was determined that some tears be shed when he died. Now, what a horrible man. Um, okay, so then there's the quote from Jeremiah chapter 31. Uh, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping and great mourning. Uh, that originally referred to the mourning of Israel's mothers during the conquest and captivity of the nation. But here, Rachel is a representation of Bethlehem's mothers. Uh, Bruce, FF Bruce, uh, Rachel was to the Hebrew a mother for Israel in all time, sympathetic in all her children's misfortunes. Verse 19, now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. This is again, 
I mean, Joseph and angels, amazing stories, really, and, and obedience. And the angel said, uh, arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. Go back. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. Now, we don't know when this was, um, but we do know that Jesus did spend a certain period of his childhood in Egypt. And uh, when you go to Egypt and you see the pyramids, one of the things that amazes me is that those pyramids had already been in Cairo for over a thousand years when Jesus was born. So you, I, I always, whenever I go there, I just imagine, you know, Mary, I, I don't know if this happened or not. Jesus, don't climb on the pyramids, you know. Um, but uh, here, here they are now and they, they've started to settle into their life in Egypt and the angel Lord says, okay, no more settling, get back, time to go back to Israel. And uh, Joseph did what he always did when he when he was given a command by an angel of the Lord. He was obedient immediately. And uh, it's interesting because all through this passage in verses 19 to 29, we were, right, take the young child uh, for those who sought the young child. Uh, verse 21, took the young child. Uh, it's amazing, really, that the young child is the one who is given first place in this account. Uh, the Messiah was was going to has spent a few years in Egypt. He was a refugee from Herod, but he was going to come back into the land of Israel. Verse twenty-two. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Uh, Joseph had very good reason to be cautious of Archelaus because the, the son of Herod actually proved to be such an, an incompetent and violent ruler that at the plea of the Jews of Judea, the Romans actually deposed him uh, for misrule and they replaced him with a governor that was appointed by Rome uh, in AD 6. Uh, F.F. Bruce, uh, this Archelaus was as cruel as his father Herod the Great, but without any of his greatness. He was a man of kindred nature, suspicious, truculent, to be feared and avoided by such as had cause to fear his father. Poole said this. Uh, his brother Herod Antipas is reported of a much milder disposition and more inactive temper. So Joseph, not without the direction of God, go, went to his own province, which was Galilee. Now, Galilee is just north of Jerusalem. So uh, to come from uh, Egypt in the south and then come up into Jerusalem. He would have to go around uh, Jerusalem, uh, either east or west, and then uh, and then settle into Nazareth, which is you know directly north of Jerusalem. Um, after receiving this guidance in a divine dream, uh, Joseph settles outside of really what is you know, the religious area of Jerusalem and Judea. And 
he goes to a place that had a, a much more of a Gentile population than either Judea or Jerusalem, uh, which is Nazareth. Now, you have to remember, he's coming back to his hometown of Nazareth, which is remarkable, okay, because we know it's the hometown of Mary. We presume it's the hometown of Joseph because they were they were betrothed, okay, and they, and they promised to each other from young age, Luke chapter 1. Uh, Nazareth is a very unremarkable place. It was then. Um, and anybody who knew Joseph and Mary knew the unusual circumstances of Mary's pregnancy and birth. Um, now, so you've got to go back there now. <laughs> um, and Nazareth it's un- doesn't have any walls around it. It's unprotected. It's got a bad reputation. Uh, Nathaniel in John chapter 1 wondered if anything good could come out of Nazareth. Uh, isn't it incredible that in God's plan, Jesus comes from this small, insignificant place that if it had any reputation was a bad one, and that's where Jesus has grown as a child and matures into adulthood. Now, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Of all of Matthew's references to the Old Testament and the prophets, this one is actually, I think, the most interesting because there's no specific passage found in the Old Testament that says in these words, he shall be called a Nazarene. So what specific prophecy from the Old Testament tells us that the Messiah would come from Nazareth? Well, France Notes this, there's something very peculiar in the way that Matthew worded this reference. He said this, It should be noted, however, that the formula introducing the quotation differs from the regular pattern in two ways. It refers not to a single prophet, but to the prophets. And it concludes not with saying, but with that. This suggests that it is not meant to be a quotation of a specific passage, but a summary of a theme of prophetic expectation. Thus it had been suggested that Matthew saw in the obscurity of Nazareth the fulfillment of Old Testament indications of a humble and rejected Messiah. Now, if there was a a specific passage from the Old Testament that Matthew had in mind, it was most likely Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1, which says this, there shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Now, the Hebrew word that was translated branch sounds like Nazir, Nazar, Nisa, Nessa, uh, which means one with a special vow of consecration. Uh, F.F. Bruce said this, Jerome, following the Jewish scholars of his time, believed the reference to be mainly to Isaiah 11, where mention is made of a branch that shall spring out of Jesse's root. The epithet Nazarene will thus mean the man of Nazareth, the town of the little shoot. Spurgeon, uh, talking about what Matthew meant here. He meant that the prophets have described the Messiah as one that would be despised and rejected of men. They spoke of him as a great prince and conqueror when they described his second coming. 
But they set forth his first coming when they spoke of him as a root out of a dry ground without form or comeliness, who, who, when he should be seen, would have no beauty that men should desire him. The prophets said that he would be called by a despicable title, and it was so, for his countrymen called him a Nazarene. In the plan of God the Father, which was inspired by God the Holy Spirit and embraced by God the Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah grew up in a town that was despised. And Jesus was actually going to become known as Jesus of Nazareth, and his followers were going to become known as Nazarenes. Now, when Jesus revealed himself to, to Paul on the road to Damascus, which is obviously after his resurrection and his ascension, and after he's seated at the right hand of God the Father in glory, he introduces himself to Paul and he says, I am Jesus of Nazareth in Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 24, the, the prosecutors of Paul said this to the judge, we have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. Spurgeon said this, There is always some city or village or another whose inhabitants seem to be the butt of every joke and the object of scorn. The people of such places are thought to be low, uncultured, not very smart. That is the kind of place Nazareth was. David Guzik, last word. Growing up in Nazareth, Jesus would mature in boyhood and then in his young adulthood. He would fulfill the responsibilities expected of an eldest son, and then at some time, Joseph disappeared from the scene and Joseph, Jesus became the man of the family. He worked his trade, supported his family and loved his God. Proved himself utterly faithful in a thousand small things before he formally entered his appointed ministry. Yet no one would be intimidated to ever meet a man from Nazareth. The tendency would be to immediately think oneself better than a person who was from Nazareth. You know what my observation is today? I'm proud to be a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. I'm proud to be uh, I'm proud to be a, a, somebody who could be called a Nazarene. How about that? See, it doesn't matter where you come from. What matters is what you do and where you finish. Um, I think about my own life as, as, as I conclude today, just to a little bit about me. I, I, I grew up in, in, in a place called Canley Heights in Sydney, Australia. Canley Heights was not known for the place where the wealthy people of Sydney lived. Uh, it was very working class people who didn't have a lot, but made the most of what they had, had the most wonderful neighbours, uh, even with all the difficulties with my own mother who suffered from severe mental illness. And I think about what God has allowed me to do and achieve in life, coming from those humble beginnings of in, in, a, in a very working class place, wonderful people, had a difficult childhood, and yet I was able to have a wonderful career, in, in chartered and public accounting, uh, was able to uh, rise to the highest levels of executive leadership and then called into ministry to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm still going. I haven't finished yet. 
So it doesn't matter where you come from. I think about the Apostle Paul, who spent the first half of his, of his life despising people who were of the way, who were Christians, doing everything he could to lead them off to be murdered. Yet he has an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he ends up becoming, you know, arguably the greatest Christian ever. He gets to the point where he can say, I've finished the race. I've done everything God asked me to do. So even though he came from the worst of beginnings, he ended up in the best of places. Jesus came from Nazareth, born, born in Bethlehem, a few years in Egypt, comes to Nazareth, raised in Nazareth, known as from Nazareth, known as from a place that was despised. And then he ends up on heaven, I'm sorry, on the cross before he gets to heaven. He ends up on the cross. He's despised on the cross. And yet, even though he came from a place that was despised, he was despised for performing miracles on the wrong day. How dare you heal somebody on the wrong day? He was despised on the cross. And yet, that was where he did his greatest work. And he rose again from the dead. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's made a way for you and I to join him. See, it doesn't matter where you start. It matters where you finish. It matters what you do with what's in your hand. It's Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Jesus did that. Joseph did that. And now it's up to you and I to do it. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful opportunity to observe what it means for us to see what humble beginnings Jesus came out of and how he pursued the call that you place on his life, which was to die on a cross. Father, thank you. Jesus, thank you. We say thank you again today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.